When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Well, folks, welcome back to yet another episode of Sticks in the Six here with episode 126. And we know you guys love seeing our mugs so much that we we figured we'd do a second episode this week. And uh, very special episode. We were supposed to have Sean, the Sheriff McMorrow, on last episode, which was a couple nights ago. Of course, he uh, he couldn't make it, uh, but uh, he, he agreed to join us today, Sunday, for a live showing Um just we're going to get into it with, about his career and, and what it was like to be a, a lifelong enforcer uh, at the pro level. But before we get to that, uh, gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Um, I <laughs> sorry, I just I wasn't expecting a little staring contest with Peter right there. I thought one of us. Was oh, <laughs> I was actually oh. looking at another tab on my screen. I was just trying to make sure everything was all lined up. So if I was if we were having that staring contest, that was just a happy coincidence right there. there we go. <laughs> um, no, things have been things have been going well, boys. Um, I uh, yeah, just uh, went home this weekend. I helped a buddy move into his his new place and. Uh, uh, then I had some uh, nice time by the pool today uh, at my parents' house. Obviously, I don't have a pool down here in Shitty Fort Erie, but um, <laughs> uh, it was nice. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward to chatting up with uh, Sean because I don't think I, – I, I think I met him when we were at the bottom line, but I don't mm. think I was there afterwards because I had to leave that night because I wasn't in the picture, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. hopefully – I wonder if Sean felt that same sentiment. He just he just he found out I wasn't going to be there on Saturday and said, I missed Alex. That's right. Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> yeah. I, I know he's going to bring a lot of energy. He always does. And uh, especially with his, his show, the sheriff uh, podcast over at the bottom line in Toronto, if you haven't checked it out, be sure to check it out. Uh, Peter, we talked two days ago, but how you doing, buddy? What's the last two days brought you? Um, okay. So a lot has changed since the last two days, actually. So, you know how uh, I mentioned that, you know, family members have been hit with the COVID virus. It's been three years, actually. And this is the first time we actually got hit. I'm still okay. I'm still testing negative, but sister tested negative. She's back on the mend. Um, doing great with that. Um, but yeah, really, really, really short couple of days, but you know what? Things are starting to pick up right now. Um, heading into June, which is basically draft month right now. So it's all hands on deck at this point. And even before coming on, I was just finishing up my final, rankings and boys i'm just gonna say i'm second guessing myself right now and i'm still second guessing tomorrow the day after that whenever it starts or whenever i I post it i'm still gonna second guess myself because it is very tough right now with the viewings that i've seen especially this whole entire year because it's that deep is that the beauty of rankings though we always second guess ourselves. we always love to uh love to throw them (laughs) out there and stand by them until we don't and then, so we uh, don't like after I after, of it. 
after I published, I was like, oh, no, I didn't want to do that. Well, it's too late. It's already out there kind of thing. Real yeah. quick, boys, before we before we get into the Sean McMorrow interview, I just realized that you asked me how how the last like couple days were for me or the last week or whatever. And I just totally ignored the, the biggest detail that happened um, in the past couple of days. So for those that don't know, um, my time with the hockey writers has unfortunately come to an end. And uh, effective June 1st, I'm going to be starting a new spot at the uh, the Leafs Nation over at the Nation Network there. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Obviously, that is not going to affect my status on the pod whatsoever. Uh, I know that we, uh, we ran our pod through the hockey writers for a while, but uh, I still plan to be here. And I still plan to uh, be back here in the 2023-24 season and... Uh, who knows what what there will be to talk about by then but uh yeah it's uh it's going to be a it's going to be a nice change for me i'm uh, looking forward to getting to work a little closer to our friend of the show jay rosehill uh Cole's the <laughs> leafs morning take over there and uh yeah it's uh, it, it, there, i think there's some good opportunities that are waiting for me so i just wanted to uh just wanted to throw that out there for anybody who cares yeah no it's it's and honestly it's nice to have it'll be nice to have a few faces on a few different places on the on the net and uh mm. You know, it just, it adds to the flavor that we're going to have here at Sticks in the Six. And for those wondering, I'll be here for the 2030, 2031 season as well at Sticks in the Six. So I'll keep it going, boys. But uh, <laughs> um, before we get Sean on here, obviously, we got to shout out our our proud sponsors, the Hockey Podcast Network, uh, for, for giving us the opportunity to go live with Sean, as well as... Uh, um, the uh, folks over at the NDL house, uh, which this interview is presented by the NDL house. So shout out to them um, just very quickly. Leafs off season in, is back. And are you getting ready for a night out or watching maybe the Stanley cup playoffs at the Stanley cup finals, hopefully soon um, at home with the gang, what better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at NDL house in Toronto. With two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto at Bay and Bloor, the Biroteca location. They have two big screens, amazing authentic Italian food, and loads of beer. Also at OG Brew Pub in the junction at Kiel and Dundas with 120 seats, famous bar food, and 12 taps. Indie Ale House is an award-winning brewery featuring the, their flagship Instigator IPA and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers. Perfect for takeout, dine-in, or bottle shop online orders when planning for game night. You can find Instigator IPA and Marco Polo Pilsner at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag live indie is the motto. Adventurous, fun-focused beers with a selection for everyone. From a healthy dose of in-your-face hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream Pilsners and easy drinking options, Indie Ale House is the go-to for game day. And as I mentioned uh, last episode, they do have a new cherry raspberry sour, so perfect for the summer months. So check out the NDL house, check out their locations. Uh, they, they'll have that sour available in their uh, bottle shops. And boys, as we await uh, Sean's appearance here on the show, um, any quick ideas of what we could see with the uh, the Leafs GM situation as it's starting to break down a little bit more this uh, this uh, this week? And Alex, I'll throw it to you, buddy. Um, it's wow, that's a. It's a question that I've been trying to mull over for the answer for the past week or so, and I have not really been able to come up with anything. Um, I do find it kind of telling that we, we heard a lot about Brad Treliving in the past, like like around last week, we heard a lot about Treliving and his interviews with Dubis and how he was the front runner. And it seems like it's gone very quiet on that front. So I almost wonder if, if 
he could potentially be checking in and, you know, seeing about someone like Doug Armstrong or even Jim Null over there in Dallas. And I know obviously Dallas is in the middle of a playoff run. So I can't imagine he's picking up his phone and, and, and answering calls from Brendan Shanahan to, for his future, for his next job. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, man. And uh, I, I really have no idea what to expect because I just think that it, it's really going to come down to, it's going to come down to, I don't even, I, I, I'm losing my train of thought here because there's just that there's so many possibilities and we're just hearing nothing about it. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's going to be a crazy situation. Um, I will say that I don't think that, um, I don't think that Brad true living is the absolute monster that everybody thinks he could be. Um, I think that we're all a little scarred over years of JFJ and Brian Burke and Dave Nonis. And, uh, believe it or not that there are other good GMs in the league outside of Kyle Dubas. It's not just him or him or, you know, going back to that era. So uh, I'm just going to keep a sharp eye out. We'll see what happens. Well, there you go. As, uh, as we uh, got your very, very good answer on the Leafs possible mm-hmm. next GM, very Sean, good. the Sheriff McMorrow has joined the show and uh, Sean, welcome three-time AHL man of the year, 13 seasons of professional hockey. You made the dream come true. You made the NHL buddy and uh, nearly 4,000 PIMS over your career from the OHL to the EIHL to wherever you played, man, you were you were on the ice and you were creating havoc. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I'm not doing it nearly as well as the sheriff himself, but welcome to the Sticks and the Six podcast, Sean. How's it going, buddy? Oh man, it, it's going so good. And hey, don't don't discredit yourself. That's an incredible. <laughs> I feel incredibly special. I feel I, I feel welcomed. So great job. I'm very excited to be here, gentlemen. To answer your question. Beautiful. So when before we get into your career as a, as a lifelong enforcer and, and playing pro all over, um, I got to ask you, Leafs knocked out in the second round. You're from the Toronto area. There was no answer to Sam Bennett and Matthew, to, Matthew Kachuk when it came to the Florida Panthers. So what is your take on what the Leafs need to take that next step next year? <laughs> The golden question, boys. Hey, eh? the golden <laughs> always is. Man, the person that has the answer to this question should probably be given multiple billion dollars because <laughs> I will tell you, there is so much emotion in the millions of Torontarians, okay, over the decades of time that we have not gotten the result that we wanted. So you know what? I think I might have the answer. So I'm ready to receive the billion. Leafs GM, GM right here. I think I might have the answer, okay? So this is what we need to do, gentlemen. Now, first of all, um, can somebody remind me of the 17-year-old general manager that we just let go? What was his name again? Kyle Dubas. Kyle yeah. Dubas. Okay. So obviously I'm just joking, right? But <laughs> my point is, guys, is like it is okay – to be content with admitting that maybe Austin Matthews isn't the guy. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Hockey's gone on for a long time. We don't have to attach ourselves to certain players. And I think that's what the problem is with Toronto, especially the main fan base guys, because I'll tell you what, even though I'm in the media now, even though I played for other organizations, I'm a Toronto fan at heart. I'm that Saturday night hockey night in Canada kid that watched the Leafs with his grandfather and great uncle Frank. Okay. So that's me too. I'm part of this group. I will donate part of the billions to myself for this answer. <laughs> so now, Guys, 
I think that because we didn't have success for so long before this core four, okay, we didn't really have success. It was the Doug Gilmore era and then this core four. So now we have the, we have Matthews, we have Marner from the London Knights, we have this phenom from Sweden with Nylander. We have we have you know we signed Tavares. Like oh my god! Like as a Toronto fan, like trust me, we were excited and we're like you know what we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. How could we not do it with this core? Well, we didn't do it. It's time to let go now. We need to clean house. We need to clean house. Sheldon's got to go too, man. Like, I'm sorry, guys, but they all got to go because when you've been involved in sports in a long time and you want to make changes, you can't just change the GM and then keep everyone, everything else, hopefully the same, pending on free agent signings and, and so on and so forth, right? You have to let go. So in my opinion, I mean, I, there's some funny rumors of Connor McDavid for Marner and Matthews. There's some funny rumors like that. Obviously, that wouldn't be able to happen, right? But like, mix, like shake it up like that. Shake it up. Nylander's definitely got to go. I think Matthews it, like deserves to have a chance somewhere else before his soul's ripped apart by Toronto fans because he can't get it done. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I would definitely, I definitely say that you know, Kudubas getting rid of him may have been a step in the right direction, or may have been a step in a sense, but he absolutely should not be the only one to fall on the sword if it, if it comes down to that. Yeah, I think that you know he he certainly should shoulder that part of the blame, but to say that you know firing Kyle Dubas is going to be the key to finally getting past the second round and finally making a deep run, it just doesn't check out like that. Yeah, and even making like a big change, like shaking up that car, that could go a long way. I think it needs to set and set the motion that you know what we mean business. I mean, look what happened with the Raptors a few years back. Like they had that connection with Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry. You had to trade a fan favorite in yeah. order to get farther mm -hmm. along. Mm -hmm. Now, now whether that's going to be the same situation here or not, we don't know. But if it ends up being the best for the team, kind of like the Matthew Kachuk trade last year for Florida. We all know how that's going well for them right now. It can be done. And if you get a grit character player that can provide the offense and be that guy, who knows what can happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And like the thing, other thing guys is that we did give that core five years over here, mm -hmm. right? A lot like of chances. They, got, they got five years. And I mean, we won the one round, I mean, I know I'm all over Matthews in this segment, but Matthews scored a big goose egg against Florida, man. You can't have your best player mm -hmm. do that. So obviously something's not working out either for him or for the team with him. And it's time to move on. Like, I mean, if they, if they re-sign him and try this again, I mean, guys, we're going to have this conversation in two years. Like, it, it's going to – like, you know what I mean? I think they should just move on from those guys. Marner seems to be the guy that could stay. Tavares is borderline, but Nylander and Matthews, they got to go. So once that happens and the Leafs get at least to the conference finals last year, I will have a P.O. box for where everybody can send the money. <laughs> Starting a big crowdfund crowd fund for you. Go fund me kind of thing. I'm just joking, gentlemen. But I, I mean, as a Leaf fan, I, I really hope that whatever moves we do make, that it's the right ones. Because, man, is this base ever needing some more yeah. winning in the oh, hockey man, I, department? You got to wonder how Absolutely. much how much more Toronto fans can take. 
It's oh, just yeah. Like, before it's you the- start seeing stuff getting thrown on the ice, like some of the other cities, like yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think they were doing that with jerseys before the core four, weren't they? Oh like, yeah, with, with jerseys. When jerseys was here, yeah, Eggo waffles too. They were throwing that with yeah. the whole waffle. Yeah, game. we don't want that again. That's yeah. not that's that's when it's bad, guys. Right? So we don't want that. Right. <laughs> Jumping into your career, though, um, I mean, you you like you obviously your numbers speak for themselves. So I want to I want to get a feel for what your how it all started for you in the at the OHL level. Like you had a season late in your career in the OHL where you had 170 pims. Um, I mean, you play, you, you mentioned them, you played for the London Knights, uh, definitely a hell of an organization when it comes to, uh, producing NHL talent and, and next level talent. Um, but you were kind of, you played a little bit of everywhere in the, in the O and, uh, I mean, tell us about that. Like what, where, where did it all start for you? What, what, uh, what kind of got you into that sort of the side of the game? So, um, I love talking about the OHL because although gentlemen, it was only three years, Man, it seemed like it was like a 10-year phase of my life. Like, just with all the teams, like, I mean, like, people ask me, like, Sean, like, how the heck did you play for six teams in the OHL? <laughs> well, I'll tell you at least about half of them, and that happened in a couple months. So that kind of answers it in its own way. I was traded to the Mississauga Ice Dogs, and this is how I met Don Cherry. So I'm grateful for this phase of my life. It wasn't very good for winning but it ended up being good for later in my career because I ended up becoming friends with Rick Vive who was the head coach of that team when I played in Mississauga we hated each other at that time but we're really good buddies now I've had him on my show twice like it's great same thing with Don Don's like my idol right so Don's like he's he's a Canadian idol but 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 at the icon I should say idol Canadian icon but also, like, he's the guy that I looked up to the most. And he was the guy that I wanted on my show the most when I started it. So just to be able to be able to shoot for things, that's motivation in itself. So I'm very grateful. I played for Mississauga. It was the year that Jason – this is a kind of a cool story. Jason Spezza is up for the draft, right? So it's either going to be him or Ilya Kovalchuk, okay? They're both 83 birthdays. So now – Bobby Orr was Spezza's agent, and he's telling Jason, he's like, look, we're not going to go first overall if you're on the last place team of one of the CHL teams, like in the OHL. It's not going to happen. Ilya's going to get the pick. So they demanded a trade, and Windsor just happened to like trade like eight players for, for Jason. So there was like a firestorm of trades, and I was involved with it, right? So – I get traded to Mississauga. It's it's a complete disaster. We ended up having three wins that year. I think we had two wins by the time I got traded before Christmas to Kingston. Now, Kingston, London was trying to get me the whole time, apparently. And then London got me straight from Kingston after two weeks of me being in Kingston. So Mississauga, Kingston, and London, all within like six weeks. So like, oh man, yeah, Easy, man. yeah, always on the road. <laughs> yeah, so really, like the way I look at the OHL is, I mean, I got drafted to Sarnia. I had a great time in Kitchener because that's where I got drafted to the NHL. 
right? And then the London Knights, I was with them for a season and a half, right? It worked out that way. And then I finished off with the generals and started scoring. So, of course, I, I remember all those great times. Right? <laughs> but, but yeah, man, the, the OHL was fantastic. I mean, I think part of your question was asking me, like, how I got into the into the role type of thing. Well, Mark Hunter drafted me. Um, he drafted me pretty high. It was a second-round pick, 33rd overall. And he pretty much told me, like, the spot is yours to be my enforcer. Now, when I call you my enforcer, that means that you're the most special guy to me on the team. And to be honest, I looked at it the same way I did the year before when I played for the Pickering Panthers. I just gave it a shot. I was pretty successful at it. So I just embraced it. And I just, I just accepted the fact that this is what I had to do if I wanted to get to the next level. And if I didn't do it, I probably wasn't going to get there. So, Sean, I actually want to circle back to the year before uh, all that drama with London and uh, London and uh, Kingston and the Ice yeah. Dogs. So uh, the reason I want to circle on to the Kitchener season is because I'm a Kitchener boy. Right and I, uh, I don't want to make you feel old here, but you played in Kitchener the year that I was born. So <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to, I mean, you mentioned that it was a special time in your, in your career because that's when they, that's when you were drafted yeah. um, to the NHL. So. Just tell me about uh, tell me about your time in Kitchener, what you took away from it, and uh, what it was like playing in front of the fans at the odd. All right, well, thank you for asking, man. Because this is this is like this is like nostalgic. Okay, so <laughs> so when I got traded to Kitchener, it was like I was going from a team that like and 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 we can all we can all emphasize with this type of situation, and so can the listeners and viewers. So I was coming from a situation where it was mostly like older players. Now I'm a rookie, right? Mostly older players on the team, mostly guys that like don't really have the same interests as me. Like it, it was weird. Like we were all hockey guys. You know how we played on some teams that were like, everybody loves hip hop and stuff. And, and we all are kind of into the kind of the same interests. Other teams, it's like, it's very diverse. Like, like everybody likes everything and it's kind of like neutral. And then you'll be on other teams where half the team only listens to the country. And then it's like, you know what I mean? And there's like, it's a, no one knows really know what to play in the dressing room. And you know what I mean? It's like, it yeah. can get all weird. Mm -hmm. So I went from a team pretty much where I wasn't really that comfortable. It was a lot of older guys and they were kind of like, like, I don't know what the content on the show is, but they were very uh, not nice to the rookies. They were pretty big, whatever holes you can think of. Okay? Oh, you can say it. You can yeah. say it. They were huge, yeah. huge dicks to the rookies, man. Gave us a really hard time. <laughs> so now I go from that situation and then I get traded to the Kitchener Rangers. That And this team has like nine or ten rookies. Every, these guys are all my age. You know, half of them are from like Toronto, like Mike Amadeo, um, Dickie, um, e even Derek Roy, who was a year younger than me. But we started getting along right away. Like, like I got to play with all these guys. Right. And I felt so comfortable. My billets were like unbelievable. It was the first time I've ever had a waterbed, <laughs> which is it's, it's true. But I, I was joking about it. But it, that is true. But and it was just a great situation. So, of course, that's going to that's gonna translate in your play. So now I'm still a defenseman at this time. So now I'm just like, you know, like my defense partner's solid. I'm happy at home. You know, the school's pretty cool. 
you know, like, you know, we're teenagers and stuff. Right. And, and like, and we're just having a good time. And, and then the kitchen arrangers, like it was when they kind of like had first done a little bit of renovations to the arena, like not the ones that they did for the mem cup that they had right. like recently, but like they did these, this other stuff, the dressing room was so nice. And to be honest, it, being from Toronto, another thing is, is that being from Toronto, the first thing that someone from Toronto thinks of when they walk into that odd is Maple Leaf Gardens, man. And I know that it was like whoever created it kind of like modeled it after Maple Leaf Gardens. Like I've heard that story, but man, does it ever have a special feeling, Alex? And it's like, you know, you walk in there and you almost feel like, like, like you almost feel like you're you're so lucky to be there because you know how historic Maple Leaf Gardens is, and you're like, wow, what is this? Like a replica of Maple Leaf Gardens? Like, wow, this is cool. It's cool that we're here. Like, you know, you appreciate being yeah. there, and then all these things combined, man. You could just imagine how good it was for me. Like, it was like, you know how they say, like, you have to have all these components add up to make it and stuff yeah. like that. Well, dude, I did, and I just mentioned them all, and because I had all those things all work out for me i was able to play well enough to get drafted to national hockey league like that was the team that central scouting was basing me on from i think the trade was in january to the end of the season and then the draft was in june so like i owe it to kitchener i i owe it to my billets i owe it to that school i owe it to all these the, the gentlemen that i mentioned my teammates for for just being my friend and, and making me feel important and special. And, and man, when, when a player gets all those things, man, could he ever shine and, and thrive? You know what I mean? So, so thanks for asking me that question, buddy. I know that was a long extended uh, answer. Dude, the longer, the longer, the better, the longer, the more juicy, the better. I got a, I got a real quick follow up with that though. Cause I know that yeah. Kitchener and London have a, uh, they got a bit of a rivalry over there. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, Forbes and I, yeah, we don't talk all that often. <laughs> no, but um, two of the best teams almost every single year. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know what? Actually, this this question's completely moot. I totally fucked up. Uh, Sarnia was where you got traded from, not London. So uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to ask if you. But like, I played for London. I played for all true. the teams you're talking yeah. about. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I guess uh, to, to, to the question does, does still kind of apply then uh, I'm assuming at maybe at some point in the second half of that season, you probably played Sarnia. Did you uh, take matters into your own hands against some of those vets that were dicks so, to you or? I mean, I, yes. So I remember the game because I got traded for a guy that I knew. Um, Sal, Sal Latiri, Latiri. Yeah. He was an Italian guy from Toronto area. I think he was like from Vaughn and, um, Sal Letiri was a year older than me. It was like Sal Letiri and, and, a, and a draft pick for me. So like, it was like, like, you know, I, like I felt, I felt um, very important. And I remember going back into Sarnia and then, and then I just remember, I, I, I remember getting ice time. I remember being happy that way. I don't think I, I know I definitely didn't fight. Cause I would have remembered that I probably tried to, but like there was no takers the guy that replaced Mark Hunter, Mark Hunter was the coach. He got fired and then a bunch of us got traded. The guy that replaced him wasn't really a big tough guy person anyway. So they're probably like, you know, there were some coaches that would coach to like avoid all the fighting. Like, oh, don't pay any attention. But then there was the coaches that just wanted to, to head it straight on. You know what I mean? And, they, and those were usually the teams that would go deep in the playoffs. <laughs> That's awesome. 
That 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 is awesome. I love that. I, I love that Kitchener played such a big role in your uh, where you are right now. Oh, that's uh, that's interesting to hear about because you know you look man. at you look at hockey DB or whatever. It says thirty one games, and you think yeah. okay, maybe that's just half a season. But yep. thirty one games, a lot can be packed into that. So it was a big. It was thirty one games, and plus a plus a playoff series against Sault Ste. Marie. But like it was, um, man, it was a huge part of my journey, my friend. Great. Huge, huge, huge. Sean, I also just want to circle back to the Hunters because you played for Mark and Sarnia and even Dale yeah. uh, for a certain point in London. Um, yep. Obviously, they're kind of like, you know, junior hockey royalty in the sense yeah. that, you know, they run the show on whatever, especially right now, they run the show. They own everything with the London Knights. They do the scouting and everything like that. Yep. I just want to get your take. What was it like playing under them? Because when like when i was at the junior camp a few years back talking to dale hunter and mark it seemed like you know they want to get the best out of their players no matter what situation or what team they're on i just want to get your thoughts on those two yes so um i'm i'm a hunter guy through and through um mark and dale hunter have done a lot for me in my career and they have been uh pop it up again and again throughout my journey and they they look out for me they've done me many favors um they i can call them for advice on i mean i think i even called them when i was in trouble one time um i'm very close to them and they, what they do for hockey is incredible and like i'm telling you man like this is a family like this is a family where hockey was everything and and they had to you know they had to learn the hard way the old school way right so they mm -hmm. mix some of that into their hockey genius and and a lot of good stuff comes out of it and, you know, like, like Mark, like Mark has told me stories about like, you know, we'd be doing bag skates and, you know, guys would be like, you know, giving the coach dirty looks and, and you know what I mean? And, and the way Mark would respond, he'd be like, listen, you guys think this is tough? Try jogging when your father's driving the, the pickup truck and you and your two brothers are jogging at five in the morning and your father's not going to slow down and he's behind you. You think this is tough? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like he told us, he told us, hey, I had to get stuff to heart the old school way. And I'm willing to translate that type of intensity into my hockey genius and do it in the modern era. And I think that's what Mark's secret is, to be honest with you. He's so original and raw. And somehow he's able to translate that into modern ways. And it, it, it's absolutely incredible. But the other thing is, is they make you feel like a professional, like that last year that I was in London, I mean, I had already been like kind of crowned the toughest guy in the OHL, right? And that's why Mark just loved me because he had me there and he just knew that like any game where there's stuff that happened unfairly, he could just tap me and just say, Sean, just go out and get him. You know what I mean? And I would because I, 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 I had known the Hunters for so long at that point, you know, with Sarnia and London now. And, and, and you know, so like, like they make you feel like a pro. I was 19 years old that last year and you know, th they let me live with my girlfriend. They were sending us the billet checks, but the, but the biggest favor that the hunters did for me was trading me to Oshawa. And, and I'll tell you the story is pretty interesting. It involves Brian McGratton, which is always a good story. So now <laughs> the, big urn, the big urn is in Oshawa. Okay? Love it already. Now, now, Gratz at that time, you know, as we all, as a lot of us, were kind of outgrown the league already. We were big men, ready to move on, but we're still there. Our attitudes and heads are way too big for our, the situation. 
So the big urn gets into a fight with George Burnett in the coach's room, like a disagreement about something. He's so upset that he decides to flip the desk, George <laughs> Burnett's desk in his coach's office. So obviously after you do something like that, you're probably not going to be able to stay on the team. So they got to trade the guy now, right? So they trade Gratz to Owen Sound. This is his overage year, my 19-year-old season. He's a year older than me. So now Oshawa now has a playoff spot. They've had Gratz doing a pretty good job on like the second, third line. They've had him in front of the net. He was their tough guy. Um, Gratz got tougher as he got older. He wasn't even like, like, see how I'm saying, oh, I was already crowned toughest guy. Like mm-hmm. McGrath and all those guys were like a year older than me. But Gratz like wasn't even a killer at that point. He started getting tougher like the year or two after that in the AHL. Like it's it's interesting how it works. Like like Gratz one, is one, also one of the best skaters to ever play the game, man. This guy's stride was unbelievable. Just uh, like a lot of people have to understand how good some of these players are. Once they get to the NHL, they may have to do certain roles, but man, are they ever good hockey players? And Brian McGratton was one of those guys. Like he just looked like an NHL guy when he was in Bantam, just the way he was skating. He could shoot the puck and, you know, off of one leg and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it's pretty interesting. But so Oshawa was looking for a guy to try to somehow fill some of that void. And George believed that I could do it if I was given the opportunity. So the Hunters agreed to the trade, knowing that they weren't going to make the playoffs, knowing that this was my signing year for my entry level, and that I hadn't proven that I could play yet. I was only being used as an enforcer at that time, just getting the tap on the fourth line. And this is in junior. So like, you have to be able to at least be able to prove that you can at least play a regular shift in junior to even get a sniff at the next level. Like You can't just be... <laughs> You know, so I got that sniff and and I got traded to Oshawa. They put me right on the third line. They put me in front of the net on the power play. What that did to my confidence was like incredible. And then so what I ended up doing was because I finally started getting all these opportunities, my assistant coach was Michael Fuda, who ended up also being a really good buddy of mine growing up. He's won two Stanley Cups as an executive and and Futes was uh, how I knew him was our St. Mike's connection. And Futes told me, he's like, Sean, you're doing really well now. If you just do like the off ice workouts and stuff like that, then you're going to thrive. So then I started getting confidence from Futes, started working out. I remember guys saying like, take it easy, McMorrow. We got a game this Friday, easy on the leg days. And But I, I didn't even care, man. I was just in my own zone doing mm-hmm. my workout and I just kept getting better and better and better. And then one game, we're playing the Peterborough Peets, and I got a hat trick, man. Three goals in one game. I hadn't gotten a goal the first two seasons I was in the OHL, man. And now I'm scoring three in one game. Mm-hmm. So you got to imagine the confidence, the level of confidence I was at. So I would transfer that into my fights. Like, I think I, w- I was, like, undefeated that year in fights. And, you know, you, you had guys like Jake Gilmore, you know, God bless his soul. Cam Jansons is now in the league. Like, like you had guys that, that were there. And and I just I – don't, I don't remember even coming close to losing any of them. And, and I think it was the confidence of being able to play, getting a regular shift, starting scoring mm-hmm. goals. Like, they – and then I'm seeing signs, Sniper Sean, all this kind of <laughs> stuff. I'm like, man, this is unreal. And now here I am, 19 years old, 
And another another thing I wanted to tell you guys just about that time is it's the same time that that movie Ali came out, um, Muhammad mm. Ali movie with w- the one that Will Smith played the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And, and remember how like confident and like arrogant Will Smith did that that character. And, that like, role, yeah. and like so I tried to like imitate that at that time. It was in theaters. So like I had a lot of a lot of stuff behind <laughs> me to, to thrive and and man, it was a really fun time in my life. Like it, it's really cool to talk about it so long ago now, right? Like twenty like 23, 23 years ago now, right? But but I remember it very clearly and it was such a cool time. It's crazy too, because you mentioned how like McGratton was a f- phenomenal skater. And uh, yeah. I think it was Paul Bissonette said like some of the toughest guys in the league, like in practice had like the, the dirtiest mitts too, right? Oh, like, yeah, they, they try things in practice oh, yeah. that you wouldn't even imagine trying in games yeah. just because it was, wasn't your role. But yeah. um, I look back on like the London team that you played with before you were traded to uh, traded to Owen Sound at the end there. Yeah. And uh, you know, like you played with some like some solid talent, like Corey Perry was there. Rick Nash yeah. was there. Yeah. Dennis Weidman was mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's crazy to think about that, but I want to take me back to like the, the moment you got drafted eighth round. I mean, nearing yeah. the end of the draft, Buffalo Sabres come out and Sean McMorrow is going to the Buffalo Sabres. What was that like for you? Yeah. So man, it, again, thanks for asking. Great time in my life. Um, so my agent at the time was Mike Gillis, the same Mike Gillis that was like the GM of the Vancouver Canucks, like mm-hmm. a little while ago. And I'm not sure what he's doing now, but he had a rule and his rule was, if you were not rated in the first three rounds of the draft, then you weren't going, you know what I mean? And so my draft was actually in Calgary and I wasn't allowed to go because I was rated in the seventh round. So now Mike said, he gave me the reasons why I understood. And he, and he said, you know, just sit, sit at home, have a barbecue with your family, you know, enjoy yourself and, and wait for a phone call. So, so that's exactly what I did. And, you know, we had a barbecue at my mom's house at Deep Dean. And, you know, it was, it was a very tense time, gentlemen, because, you know, that's when the internet was like kind of new. Like this is in 2000, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like new. So it was like, even with something like a draft, it was still like two, three rounds behind like real time. Like you could look it up, but it was like delayed like hours, right? So when the draft had gotten to like, this was the second day too, because the first day is first three rounds or whatever, second day is the rest. So now it's like the seventh, sixth or seventh round that I'm thinking, man, it's probably over. Like, you know what I mean? This is delayed. I don't know. Then a couple, I know, a minute later, phone rings, like, ding, you know, the, like the landlines, the, the landlines. Are <laughs> gentlemen. And so, so they're, you know, they're passing the phone to me and I'm, you know, I, I pick it up and, you know, it was Don Luce from the Buffalo Sabres. And he's like, Hey, Sean, this is Don Luce. I'm the director of player personnel. Just letting you know that we've just selected you in the eighth round. We're very excited. And, and we're going to be giving you a call back. Darcy Regeer, the general manager, would like to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. So, so, so you know, like I hang up the phone and then, yo, woo, the celebration went. And, and it, was, it was really cool, man. And, like, you know, like I talk a lot on my show about, you know, the NHL draft, like being a family accomplishment. Gentlemen, you know, like if you think about it, like the players are 18 years old, mm-hmm. you know, other than maybe like one year away in junior, their families have been with them through and through through every aspect of their of their journey so you know i look at it like it's a family accomplishment and like the nhl is pretty much 
they're selecting the player, but they're pretty much saying like, look, we're picking this player and like, we just want, we want to recognize this family for all their blood, sweat and tears. It's now up to this player of what he's going to do with this. But this draft selection is really just recognizing your family for everything that they've done. And so everybody knows how committed they were on order for this player to be given this opportunity. And, and I'm telling you, man, even the players that just pay, just get, play house leagues, get, get the selects, you, they, they ride it in a couple of years, maybe they hurt their knee and they can't play anymore. Even those families deserve credit because those were multiple practices and games every week, sacrificing your time, gas in the car, you know, everything, guys. You guys all know it. We're all hockey guys. Hockey's a very unique sport and takes a huge commitment from the families. And I think that needs to be recognized through the airwaves of how much people do for, for us players, like our families. So I know I'm going on and on and on, but, but, but no. shout out to the families of the hockey players. That's a really great point because, yeah. you know, I, I think you can almost compare it to something like a movie. Like you, a real good movie comes out and your eyes obviously going to be on the big actor, the guy that's selling the whole thing. But, you know, that movie doesn't happen without the camera crew, without the production crew, without the makeup oh, yeah. artists. Like there is a grocery list of people. So, you know, you might look at a guy getting drafted in the first round and think, okay, well, he gets drafted in the first round because he's a good player. But, you know, that being a good player doesn't happen without the parents driving you to practice, without the the team parties, without the the mentors, the coaches. Like there's – so it's I, I like that you shine light on that. Yeah. And while well, like we're a on- good example – sorry, Alex, just to, no, no just to add to that. A good example is look at the grade eight. Look at Alex Ovechkin, how mm-hmm. he lives with his mom and his grandma and he, mm-hmm. how he brought mm-hmm. them over from day one. Like, I don't know if you guys know that yeah. or, or the listeners and viewers, but that, but that's a very close connection out at the grade eight and his mom, but sorry, Alex continue, buddy. No, no worries. Um, I, I was now that we mentioned the fact that, you know, the bringing you back to the day you got drafted, I want to take you uh, a step forward to uh, the day you played uh, your one game in the NHL. Now, <laughs> You know, I think that if you make the NHL, even if you play, whether you play a thousand games or you play one, odds are you've got something that 99% of people who are around you don't have. So I think, it, I, I think it's wicked that you were able to, you, you were able to get your shot there. Uh, I really just want you to take, take us back to that day. Uh, who is, who's that game against? Uh, what do you remember about it? I see that there were no, there were no penalty minutes in that game. Shockingly. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, exactly, man. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, I mean, again, man, you're asking me these questions that are really cool, right? So, all right. So, the NHL game. So, the the coolest thing about it, the coolest thing about the NHL game is the fact of who it was against and where it was. Okay? So, now, to build it up, this is a Canadian kid from Scarborough. Okay? How I would spend my Saturday nights, I think I've already kind of mentioned it, is I would do a five-minute walk over to my grandparents' house. And this is if I didn't have a game myself that night. I would I would be looking forward to the evening because I would know that I'd be guaranteed to have raisin bran toast with hot chocolate, okay? And this is the raisin bran toast that's nice and thick. And when you put it in the toaster, it doesn't even get burnt because it's so thick and it stays warm for a long time. And you can drink that hot chocolate. And as a sixth of whatever year old, that is a really big deal on a Saturday night. So that's what I was guaranteed first off and foremost. Now I get the comfort of being with my grandfather, Tom McMorrow, 
and his brother, my great uncle Frank, and I got to sit in this nice chair and we would all sit there and we would watch Hockey Night in Canada, Toronto Maple Leafs against whoever they were playing. Okay. So that was how I grew up. So when I got called up, I was, it was after practice. I was playing in Rochester at our practice facility and practice had just finished. And the way that they were going to do it was they were going to tell me when practice was done and then tell me that I had to go, you know, it was only a drive because it's only an hour drive away, Rochester and Buffalo. But so Randy Cunnyworth calls me over and, you know, as you guys know, like, the fourth liners, they have to do a lot of work. As we were just mentioning, some of the fourth liners have sick mitts, do sick moves in practice, right? Yeah. And so it's not uncommon for the coach to call you over because that just means you're going to do like a quick feed drill, you know, maybe some extra shots, you know, whatever it may be, right? So Cunny calls me over, and he's, but he's acting a little bit weird. He has this smirk on his face, man. So I'm like trying to think, like, man, I've – have I gotten in trouble for anything lately? <laughs> like, What's happening? Like, I'm only a rookie, right? So I'm 12, 12, I just turned 21. So so I go over there, and Cunny's, like, leaning on his stick like this. And, you know, and he got to the point right away. Like, I'm like, hey, Cunny, what's up? And he's just like, he just goes, he goes, you got the call. You're going to the show. Like, that's how he said it. Those words, right? So he says it. A warmth feeling starts coming through the body from the toes to the fingernails. Every type of pins and needles feeling that you can think of. You're embracing it. You know, and, and, and you know, like, like guys, like I just, I, like for me, like, like for me, it was like, I knew that it was the Toronto game. Cause like when you're, when you're in the AHL, you kind of like, you know, everything about the NHL team because you want to stay current because if you get called up, you don't want to feel like you're out of the loop. Like, you know what I mean? And everybody in the AHL believes that they're the next call up. They have to believe that the ones that don't are the ones that will never have a chance. You have to have that confidence. So, you know what I mean? Rob Ray had just been traded to the Ottawa senators. It was the year that Rob Ray was in Ottawa and he had just been traded to Ottawa. I was leading the AHL in fighting majors there was all this rough stuff that had happened in the previous game. And now the game's in Toronto. They call me up for it. I think I got called up on a Thursday. I got to practice with the team on the Friday. And then on the Saturday, on the Saturday, we traveled to the game during the day. My roommate was Curtis Brown. And, um, and yeah, we stayed at the Western Harbor Castle. And it was the Air Canada Center at the time. And it was it was an incredible, incredible experience, gentlemen. Like, just from us getting to the arena, when I'm, I just remember taping my stick out by the bench and looking out and seeing all the stands at Scotiabank. And just, you know, and then the refs, the refs started skating around. There's a time when, when they're warming up, right? So I'm in my ditch, taping my stick. Toronto boy both to play the Leafs like it's 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 just like like you're 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 almost like in a dream and then and then I just remember this ref like I don't even remember which one it was he just came around and then he stopped and he's like hey he's like McMorrow isn't it gonna be your first game tonight and I'm like yeah and he's like you know what kid he's like you worked your whole life to get here just have, make sure that you have fun tonight and I just remember him saying that and like that made it like really real 
that made it real. I'm like, this ref is wishing me to have fun tonight. I mean, this is, I, I'm, this must be happening. And, you know, the national anthem was insane because it was at a time when, you know, the U S had just started the war in Iraq and, you know, the, the, they were doing these things with the national anthems and giving them a little bit more noise. And, and, and man, like I, I got to line up against Ty Domi um, and I lined up against them and I, and I said, Hey Ty, you know, I've been watching my whole life, man. You got to give me a shot. And, and, and he just kind of, he looked at me kind of went, Pfft. he's like, kid, you got to make the team from the beginning of the year, kid. I, I, like, hey, I would have said that to a, to a DHL guy that just got called up to the AHL. I would have said, buddy, I'm not going to fight you. You just got called up. Get out of here. Oh, let, let, let your veteran out to me or something, bud. You know what I mean? So I, I was, I accepted it. I was mad that he didn't give me the go, but. But but I I understood or whatever I got I think I got I got three shifts in the first I got two in the second I don't think I got a shift in the third it was a three two game Toronto had a playoff spot Buffalo didn't um so they didn't really want to start any rough stuff uh Belak and Domi were all in the lineup Shane Corson was in the lineup I recently got a picture from that game where where Shane's in the background and I've had Shane on my show a couple times so. I, I've told them that he's got to sign that for me, even though it's a picture of me. It's, it's, it's a picture of me with Shane Corson in the <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, it was it was literally a dream come true, guys, for me. Like, I got my one game right. Like, I I got to play about ten or eleven preseason games, which is also incredible. But but the regular season is obviously what what what, what you go to be in, right? Like yeah. the pre, like you get. You could play every year preseason and then never make a team. And then, like, you know what I mean? And then it's it's always like, oh, I almost made it. But, like, the preseason is, is, is a blessing, too. Like, it's an honor, honor to play preseason. Like, I got to play a couple of road games. Like, I got to play, like, in Columbus. Got to fight Jody Shelley when he was in Columbus. Um, I, I got to play against the Minnesota Wild. I don't know if you guys remember big Andre Nazarov. He was a Russian mm-hmm. fighter. Yeah. Nazarov was his last name. Big big lanky guy like six foot five i fought him um got to play against ottawa a bunch of times i i got a, a couple fights against chris neal um the, yeah it was, it was really good experiences man and then of course that one regular season game just happened to be in toronto saturday night Beautiful. right and so for me it was like it, it's Dream a come true. more interesting even though it's just like minimal numbers and um i'm very thankful I, I, I love the fact that I was able, you know, to, to reach the goal, even though it was so short a time. And, and yeah, like I just, I always tell everybody it, it's possible for anybody to make it, even though it's a very small chance, anybody can do it though. And like, no one would have thought that a guy like Joel Ward, cause he lives so close to me in proximity. Joel Ward was not supposed to play in the NHL, but he did cause he kept working hard and he never gave up. And like, that's just what I tell the kids, man. I tell the kids, like I do mentoring these days and, and I tell the kids, I go, I'm, I came from exactly where you guys came from and I got the chance to play. So everybody here has that opportunity and it may not be the play in the NHL, but everybody can make something out of hockey. If it's getting accepted to a prep school, if it's being able to get a scholarship, if it's being able to get a job because you played with a guy that now owns the company, whatever the case, you can get something out of this game. Just work hard, be a good teammate. Stuff will work out for you. Words to live by. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. 
hell of an experience. And uh, before Peter gets going with the next question here, a quick word from our sponsors. As the sheriff would bet on himself, you can also lay a few bets here with DraftKings Sportsbook. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Um, obviously, we've talked about it before. The uh, the betting on the new Leafs GM is, is rampant, and uh, I'm sure the odds will change as interviews continue to happen. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Massachusetts. Call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinem at a.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Must be 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for offer details. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. You come up with that bet on yourself thing on the fly there? Absolutely, I did. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm getting better at these ad reads too. You so. are. Yeah, better every day, bro. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, Sean, obviously – this could be a quick one because I just want to get to know like how you got the nickname the sheriff, but also uh, the sheriff, yeah. Like tying into what you were talking about, uh, mentoring before too. You said you you mentioned that you mentored little kids, coaching, and all that. You you posted on social media about being a part of the Carnegie Initiative, mm-hmm. and I just want to get your thoughts on being a part of that. You know that group and how important it is to be a part of the program and make the game more inclusive and accessible and getting your take on the NHL and if it's, you know, if, they, if there's questions or debate about whether the NHL has done enough or if they haven't done enough, is it possible that they could do more in the future? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think the best way to start this off is to point out the fact that the biggest problem. Oh, hold on. I'm not sure what I did there. My back, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. you're good. Yeah. Okay. So I think I think so. So let's let's do the back back track here. <laughs> so I think I think the best thing to do is to point out that what the what the biggest problem with our game is that it's not accessible to all demographics. Okay, and so some people say, well, what the heck do you mean by that? Okay, and fair enough, fair enough. This is a new conversation, and, and it's a new topic for many people. So when I say it is not it is not accessible to every demographic, what I mean, and the best way for people to understand, is that when I was a kid, I played for the AAA team, the Don Mills Flyers, okay? I was very proud to play for this team. There was a registration fee for this team, but it was nowhere near – even with um, inflation and all that type of stuff, nowhere near the numbers that it is today. Now, minor hockey is a complete business where when, when, I mean, I'm a lot older than you gentlemen, but when we were kids, it wasn't so much as a business as it is now. Let's just put it that way. Today in 2023, if your kid is good enough 
to make the Don Mills Flyers AAA hockey team, you have to have $15,000 for registration. Now, I'm not talking about $15,000 will be put in an account and that will cover everything that, no, 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 no. This is just a registration. This is not driving to practice. This is not paying to get into the arenas. This is not paying for the hotels for tournaments. This is not buying equipment. This is not a lot of things that are, you know, ordering, ba- hiring babysitters to babysit your other kids because your oldest son just happens to be talented enough to make a AAA team. So you got to pay everything you got, you know, like it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, you got two kids? Oh, so I guess you're comfortable with paying $30,000. So now if you're a single mother that's a nurse like mine, and let's say you make $45,000 salary which is very respectable for one person to be making that kind of salary in one year as a profession so you're trying to tell me that it's realistic for this woman to pay thirty thousand of her forty five thousand dollar salary which she probably gets about 30 after taxes anyway like like it's obvious here guys right like it's not possible it is not possible for that mom even if it's one child to be able to pay for this so what ends up happening is the intimidation level. Like it's not even it's not even people that are not willing to maybe push and grind it out a bit and be able to get that money and go. The intimidation level is so high that you have all these elitist families and there's nothing wrong with success. I played with all these people. They are great people. They worked very hard for their money. Some of them got left money from their parents, whatever. That's how the world works. But a lot of these people are hard workers. They just happen to get into good schools and live in nice neighborhoods and make a lot of money. And they're able to afford to have their kids play AAA and AA hockey without a sweat off their head, right? But a lot of people can't do that. So the game is not accessible. How do we solve that? Part of your question, can the NHL do more, this, that, the other? Well, this is what needs to be educated the most, first off and foremost. There are now programs that I've been a part of, programs like Own Hockey, Seaside Hockey, Hockey Equality, the HDA. Yes. These, these organizations, I just named four of them, now have programs of beginners hockey that have no registration fee. But do you know what the best part is, gentlemen? Is that it's free equipment. So let me tell you something. I was part of Seaside Hockey Club this whole winter that just passed. The program is giving the kids free equipment. I'm talking about skates all the way to helmets, gentlemen. Okay. So I was on the ice with these kids that not only got free registration, but they have brand new equipment head to toe. I'm looking at them and I'm like, man, do those skates ever look cool? They're way better than mine. And that's cool because you know what? This kid's getting the opportunity to play. I was lucky. I was lucky to have a mom that everyone just loved. And a lot of people helped us. Okay. A lot of people helped us. I didn't pay for registration most years. And it was because people, people emphasized with my mother because she had four of us and we were all in hockey gentlemen. You know what I'm saying? She's one of the ones that made it happen. But we were given a lot of help, and it's because of the circumstances that we were in. A lot of people won't receive that type of help. A lot of people won't be given that type of chance. Seaside Hockey, Own Hockey, Hockey Equality, the HDA, these are the programs that are changing the game. It's changing the demographics because what's going to happen, gentlemen, 
is let I just told you I spent a winter with these kids. Now I'm talking about a hundred kids because it's all different age groups. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen is you're going to get a couple Anthony and Chris Stewart's out of these groups. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a couple Rain Carnegie's out of these groups. You yeah. know what I mean? So now not only are you having the the one in a hundred, you know, Anthony Stewart that may, may have gone through the mainstream, but now you're also going to be having the handfuls of these talented kids that would have had no opportunity, would have had no chance to even have a new skates. Are you kidding me, man? The skates are like, like even junior, two, three hundred dollars, senior, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Yeah. It's more than 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 Air Jordans, man. And Air Jordans is is out of reach for a lot of families. You know what I'm saying? So it's just not possible. But but these organizations make it possible. So can the NHL do more? Make more of these organizations. Seaside's only based in Scarborough. Now I th I believe next year they're going to be moving to Seaside West, where there'll be one in Western Toronto. Now there'll be one in Scarborough. You know, um, Own Hockey is doing some really big things. HDA is doing well as well. And and Anthony and, and Shante Stewart's Hockey Equality they're thriving as well. And these are all programs where, and, and you know what? A lot of people are like, well, hey, you know, how is that fair? How is this positive? Whatever, whatever. But let's let's look at this angle. Okay, so Canada as a nation, we identify as a hockey nation. We all know that, okay? We're the hockey nation. Now, 20 years ago, the NHL was like, and I could be off a little bit, but it was like 78 77% Canadian. Now, I believe Sweden, of all countries, has overtaken Canada for per capita the most NHL players in the NHL. Do, can anyone confirm that with me? I think it's Sweden. Canada's not number one anymore. We were always number one. Now we're number two. I think number one is Sweden, and they're basing it on the populations of the countries, and then how many players are in the NHL representing that country. So my point is, is that we're not dominant in hockey anymore. Yes, we won world juniors and you know what I mean? Like we do still win, but we're not dominant the way in 87 and Lemieux and Gretzky and, and all that era. That's when we were dominant. You know what I mean? Paul Coffey and those guys. So one of the reasons is we're taking our players from a pool where there's one demograph, the people that are wealthy enough, and then the lucky ones like Chris and Anthony Stewart and Wayne Simmons that get to sneak in. Okay, so we got that demograph. Why not make the demograph for the whole country? Do you know how good our country is going to be three, four, five years from now when these grassroots programs are thriving and we're producing little Connor McDavid's out of Malvern Arena in Scarborough? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is Team Canada. That's Canada, too, guys. It's not just Upper Canada College and De La Salle and St. Mike's. It's everybody in Canada. Right. So what we'll do is we're going to expand the demographic and our country is going to be dominant again. If you go to other countries, it's not the same for the price for the ice. It's not the same for the equipment. It's not the same. Like it's very accessible in some of the other countries that are now thriving with hockey. It's very different. And like, I don't know how many of you guys have watched the black ice documentary. Um, but that documentary is based on the colored hockey league that was in Nova Scotia in the late 1800s. 
And the NHL has taken a lot of stuff from that league, like the slap shot, like the goalie actually moving around and not just looking like a pole, <laughs> things like that. You know what I mean? And one of the things that they mentioned in the, in the movie when they interview these locals from the Maritimes is that they say, like, everybody had equipment. Everyone had a pair of skates. It was almost like you got your summer shoes and it was almost like your winter boots were your skates. Mm-hmm. Like it was just automatic. And like, I don't know where we got away from that in this country. Like we used to have it on point in, this was back before, like in the late 1800s, like all those families, they all had hockey equipment. They all went to the rink on their spare time. Like that, that's the culture of our, of our country. And I think our government needs to embrace that more and be more proud of it because it's a really cool story. And anybody that hasn't seen the Black Ice documentary, you got to check it out. It was it was in TIFF. That's what me and my mom mm-hmm. saw it in the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, and, and it was, you know, like I, I was able to watch it again when the Carnegie Initiative came back around. And um, to answer your question about the Carnegie Initiative, well, let me tell you, um, I had an opportunity to, to be a special guest because of my relationship with the family. And, you know, my mother got to come with me. My girlfriend got to come and we all embraced it. We went to all the, the dinners. But the most important thing that I thought was the panels, because the panels were discussing the most important things that's happening right now in the world of sports. And like, you know, with, with what we're talking about with the diversity in hockey, having, like making hockey more accessible, all this type of stuff. Right. And like, you know, I'm listening to these guys and, and, and one thing that I appreciate when I'm part of this stuff is, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I want to do for the next 25 years. Like not only do I want to get into broadcasting, that's why I have my podcast, but I want to be a public speaker. I want to be a motivational speaker. I want to be on those panels. I got my first opportunity to do a panel just a couple months ago. It was the McMaster sports business um, um, sports conference that they had there and they invited me to be the main speaker. So I got a taste of it just a couple months ago. And my goal, just to tell you guys now and to, and to say it on the show, my goal is to be on one of those panels this coming season for the Carnegie initiative. And, and, and I'm telling you the day that it's announced that I will, I'm going to contact you guys and say, Hey guys, we were talking about it on your show and it came true. So manifesting is important, good energy for the better good. I hope that it happens. And I had to mention on the show. Sheriff, we'll we'll give you, we'll give you an official sticks in the six guarantee that if that happens, we'll bring (laughs) you back on the show to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, come, I'll come on the show anytime, gentlemen. I, I like listen, me being me being a host, you know, sometimes I kind of forget and I'm thinking that I'm doing my own show because I love all you guys. You know what I mean? So I know I'm talking a lot, guys, but I'm telling you, you guys are making me feel very comfortable. This is this is incredible. You guys do an incredible job. Well, oh, you know man, what, man, thank so, you. That means a lot. But you was, coming on here and, and giving the answers that you are, it really means a lot. And it's very in-depth, very detailed, and that's what we want to hear. You know, I was just going to say the, the content, sorry, Alex, the content that you're giving me and you can talk away that like you can, you can carry a show obviously by yourself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to have you on is just incredible, but go ahead, Alex. No, you were, you actually pretty much said what I was just <laughs> Okay. All right. Like, when you say, when you say, you know, you, you apologized a couple times for rambling on or talking too much. That is what we feed off of. We yeah. love mm-hmm. guests where we don't have to pry answers out of them, but you just, you wind them up like a toy and just watch them go. 
And, you know, for you to, when I ask you about your the one game in the NHL that you play, that for you to drop details as what people might think are as insignificant as your roommate at the time and, you know, the ref skating up to you, you know, this is this is exactly why we do the show. So I, it's been amazing, man, seriously. Even the precursor, the Raisin Brand and the Hot Chocolate, that set yeah, the tone yeah, for that's, everything. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Sean, we're only going to, we're no, we've taken up a lot of your time. We're only going to um, get to another couple of questions here, but... Before we do, I did want to throw that stat back at you. Sweden per capita right now, um, 137,534 population per player. Canada now at 139,033. 139, okay, so are we back? We're back? No, Sweden is still uh, still above us. Still at top. Okay, so, so so it is true. So Sweden's yeah. one and Canada's two right now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, okay, cool. No, because I wanted to make sure that I was – that that was still the case. You know what I mean? That it wasn't like Czech Republic or someone that snuck in there. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. No, it's uh, oh, yeah, Canada. But- Canada's number two. Finland's uh, ne- uh, next in line at 178. So it's not even close between two and three, but one and two are right there. Yeah. And like, I mean, guys, like we are the hockey country. Mm-hmm. We're the hockey country. Let's give the whole country the opportunity to play. Just like it used to be back in the late 1800s in Nova Scotia. Just like everybody Mm -hmm. having equipment. Just like everybody having multiple pairs of skates. Mm -hmm. Everybody had skates. It was, what do you you mean you don't have skates? I got three pairs here, here, a pair of skates. That used to be how our country used to be. We need to get back to that. We need our government to embrace the beginnings of this this game. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like, we're not Mm -hmm. talking about it. For those of you who have not watched Black Ice Documentary, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. Yes. You also have to support, you know, uh, organizations like Own, Seaside, HDA, and Hockey Equality. And guys, that is the solution to making hockey more diverse and accessible. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I wanted to give, like, you went into it a little bit. I want to give a shout out to your mom as well. I know how close you guys are. You had her at the show when we were at Bottom Line there, so we got we had a chance to meet her as well. Yes, that's so right. Yes, yes. yes. big shout out as well. You guys know Sheila. Yes, absolutely. you guys know. You guys know six foot Irish Sheila, man. You guys. That's right. That's right. That's so right. before we, we before we, she's end probably our watching or listening. There you go. There you, you know go. So mean? shout out to Sheila. Yeah. Um, <laughs> quick question. You did. You did continue the pro uh, pro career over uh, overseas as well. Yes. You know, tell us about playing overseas and what that was like, real quick. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, we're mentioning Sheila, right? And like, and and the the one thing, the one cool thing that I thought my mom did was when my parents split up. We were all born in Vancouver, my siblings and I, and my parents split up. You know, there was a divorce. And my mom's family is all from the Toronto area. So my mom decided that we were going to live with her anyway. So she was going to move back to where her whole family was. So now McMorrow is my mother's family's last name. And she legally had our names changed. Like my father's name is still a part of my name. But McMorrow was legally changed to be my last name when me and my siblings were very young, moving back to Toronto. And the idea behind it was was to have us have the same last name as, as all our cousins and uncles and aunts. All the McMorrows were in Toronto. And, and I think she made a great decision. I think it really did help our confidence because we do have a lot of cousins around all our ages. You know what I mean? And so you got Sean McMorrow, Sean spelled S-E-A-N, McMorrow, going to be the hard man, which this is. This is what they call the enforcer in the UK, the hard man. Okay, 
for the Belfast Giants, ladies and gentlemen, the Belfast Giants in Ireland. So So you can imagine the pride behind it. I may not look like the typical, but I am half Irish. And I'll tell you what, my family name has the strength of five families. My family name is very, very Irish. And I, w- I qualified to get my ancestry visa, which was so cool, man. It was a five-year ancestry visa. All I had to prove is that I had a grandparent that was born there, was able to do it very easily, got approved for the thing. Belf- the Giants just loved the fact that I got that because I think it was like cheaper for them to get me over like, like you know, paper-wise. And, um, and yeah, man, I got over there. They embraced the whole sheriff, a nickname. They made badges. They made T-shirts. They, they, um, you know, they, they really gave me the most confidence that I think I've ever had as a pro. Okay. And it was one of the favorite years that I ever had, but the reason why it was so important to me is because I don't know, um, if the listeners know the history of Northern Ireland, but Northern Ireland, which where Belfast is the capital Northern Ireland is actually its own country and it's the Northern tip of the Republic of Ireland. It's part of great Britain. And in this region, because it's been torn between Catholic and Protestant, which is really the people that came from, from Britain compared to the people that are from Ireland, because Ireland's mostly all Catholic. If you go to Britain, a lot of it is Protestant. So you have these communities that are side by side that have been fighting for hundreds of years, and they call it the Troubles. So although things have gotten incredibly better, there still is issues in the country. They use the, the, the British government uses the Belfast Giants to bring the communities together, and it's a beautiful thing. And when I was recruited, what they were looking for was a tough guy, like an enforcer, because, man, we're talking Ireland, we're talking we're talking bare fists fighting gentlemen. We're talking, we're talking Notre Dame. We're talking the Conor McGregor type attitude. We're talking people that like action. They like the combat sports and they love the passion. Okay. They were looking for a tough guy that was willing to be the face of the team that was willing to do all the public appearances and everything necessary that this team is used to try to bring the communities together. Now, if you look at the Belfast giants Jersey, Right from the colors to the emblem, everything is neutral. It's done this on purpose. Now, they had an opportunity with a new sport to make everything neutral, not like soccer, where everything's related to religion and there's Celtic or Ranger and everything is opposite and it's all for, for, com- it, it, it's all for conflict. This is a new team with neutral colors. The Belfast Giant is a gentleman by the name of Finn, Finn McCool. Now, Finn McCool, the novelty is he was a giant from Ireland. And if you go to the northern tip of Port Rush, Ireland, there's huge rocks that are out on the sea. So the novelty is is that Finn McCool would walk from rock to rock and he would battle the Scottish giants and fight them off and protect Ireland. So there's nothing about that story that has to do with religion, nothing about that story that has to do with conflict. And, and, and 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 it's just about pride. When you come to the Odyssey Arena, you're not allowed to wear anything but civilian clothes or a Belfast Giants jersey. You can't come in with a soccer jersey or anything that's going to cause conflict. There's no national anthem in the arena. 
just to avoid any tension or anybody that would start to argue. Everything is designed to bring the communities together. And I was asked to be the guy that would head this and that would do all these appearances. And I was so about it. And, and I, I just won my third AHL Man of the Year award and learned that the word volunteer should really be the word opportunity because that's all it did for me, gentlemen. And sorry, I'm trying to squish all this information in because I know we're running low on time. But, but I'm telling you, the Belfast thing, man, like that was I was so proud and 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 there was and 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 the culture is so strong that, that I don't think I'd ever forget that season. That's awesome. I always love hearing the Absolutely. stories about people playing overseas and oh England yeah, because it's just you know you go out there and I mean I've only been to England once, but and I know this is Ireland. I mean the UK, the whole thing. Yeah, but yeah. UK in general, you know. I think that there is an untapped market there. I know that people mm-hmm. are into hockey and, you know, you, you mentioned you go over there, you're the biggest celebrity in Belfast. And oh, man, um, was, I think that's, that, that's an experience, just like I said about, you know, getting to play an NHL game. Like that's an experience you're going to look back on forever. Um, I got one last question for you here. It's kind of a fun one. Yeah. Um, we have talked to one other enforcer on the show. I think, unless I'm forgetting someone, uh, we talked to Jay Rosehill a couple months ago right and on. Rosie told us, we were asking him about who his toughest fight was. And I was going to ask you who your toughest fight was, and you can feel free to answer that too. But the one thing that he told me when he gave us that answer was that he always found it harder to fight the smaller guys because for the guys that were standing, you know, 6'6", 250 or whatever, he said that he could he, he could sometimes wick them around and they're not as good on their feet as some of yeah. the smaller fighters. So I just want to ask you what you make of that and uh, what, what you found uh, between the difference between fighting, you know, bigger guys like yourself and maybe the guys like Ty Domi who are 5'8", five, 5'9", five, etc. Yeah, so uh, Rose Hill's pretty on point. Um, for me, I would rather fight a guy my body type than fight a guy that's, that's 5'10", 240 like a John Morasti. And it's simply because a guy that's my height that has the reach that I have doesn't get hit every time. It may look like he's getting hit. He might get get, get getting brushed along the side. Maybe, you know what I mean? His shoulders might be getting it sometimes. He's not getting hit every time. John Morasti is getting hit every time. Dennis Bondby every time. <laughs> All these guys, six feet or less. The Max Domi, his dad, all of them, they're getting hit every time, my friend. (laughs) Every time. They are a lot more tougher than we are, man. I'm guaranteeing you that. The, 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 The stockier guy is so much of a tougher guy than the guy that's 6'4", 220. And, and that's just the way it is. So if you know that you're in a battle with John Morasti, then you know that you could be hit him with everything you got and he's not going down, that does something to your mental psyche. <laughs> You're like, oh, man, awesome. what am I supposed to do? My head hurts so badly. I just gave it everything I had, and he's not even flinching. <laughs> you know that's I awesome. Mean? I think that's so, that, that what I from what you guys have both said, that seems to be a little bit of a misconception that the bigger guys are always the toughest outs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the bigger guys can be, like, intimidating, like, when you first see them, because it's like, oh, man, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Especially when it comes to, like, the actual game game, like, body checking and all that type of stuff, right? But, man, if it's just, if it's just, like, if there's five seconds left on the clock, the game is 6-1, the game's been pretty rough, there's been some cheap shots leading up to this point, 
And the coaches tap all the fourth liners. <laughs> they all go out there. <laughs> and then you know, you know your guys, a guy like John Morassi that's 5'10", you're just like, Jesus, man, I would I would take anyone in the world other than this guy right now. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. So yeah like it's – it's it, the, the, that's definitely the way that I look at it. Right on. <laughs> all right, uh, Sean, before we close it out, uh, one last word from our wonderful sponsors. And as we yeah. just talked about the price of hockey – Let's face it, with coffee starting at $5, yes, even without any customizations, and our bank account somehow always depleting, we are officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing but are priced differently solely based on the brand name. So a good duplicate or dupe is crucial for getting the highest quality at the best price. One dupe you can definitely, uh, definitely, sorry, shouldn't sleep on is Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point. So you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. And they are very, very cheap to replace if you lose or break them. Raycon's mission is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of, the, some of those other more big name tech brands out there. Raycon knows that it is it, that in this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect. They offer buy now, pay later options. Right now, you can pay as low as $18 at checkout. They have an easy and free return guarantee. They offer two years of product production uh, insurance for just a few bucks. They offer free domestic shipping and flat fee international shipping. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews for their no noise isolation and water and sweat resistant uh, qualities. Um, go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off buyraycon.com slash THPN. Well, Sean, we've taken up lots of your time. And as you mentioned, uh, we would love to get you back on at some point. There's still so much we'd love to two, you know, break down two, with you. Man. Part, part two, two, buddy, part two. You know what? Uh, yeah. When you name this episode, call it part one. Part one, one. I will. Call yeah, it, absolutely. Call it part absolutely. one. So that one. Yes. We have it absolutely. written in the stars that we have to bring him back for a part two because there's you can't say part one if there's only one part, right? Absolutely. And absolutely. there's so many things that we haven't asked that we I know. still want to ask. So I know we haven't touched on a lot of stuff, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. an open book. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be a motivational speaker, right? So when you're a motivational speaker, you own everything that's been in your life, all your experiences, right? So you guys exactly. know there's been a lot of experiences that I've had. So yeah, man, part two. Part two coming soon, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. We'll give you a quick shout out to Chris Perry, who says, good show, Sean. Thanks for the invite, brother. Um, Chris Sean, Perry's a great gentleman. Great gentleman. Good hockey player. He's for the better good. So thanks, Sean, Chris. give us a shout out to your show, as well as anybody you want to give a quick shout out before we close it out here, bud. Yeah, for sure. So the Sheriff Podcast, guys, is my, is my main gig that I got going on right now. We're on everywhere where you can find the podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So, um, anchor, um, our social media is the sheriff podcast. I do have my personal accounts, but if you want to support one of them, I'd rather you support the sheriff podcast accounts on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm expanding my platform guys. I'm doing team mentoring now chatting with the sheriff. I'm doing team mentoring with teams. If your team is interested in a mentoring session, don't hesitate to call, email me, or direct message on the social media apps. And, um, guys, I just wanted to, to thank you guys again for allowing me to come on the show. 
Um, I'm a big fan of you guys. I loved it when we when we'd run into each other at Bottom Line, and you know, like I I consider you guys my friends. And um, I'm just happy to know you guys. So thanks for having me on, my friends. Yeah, I was uh, I was joking to the guys before the show that I didn't get to be a part of that picture at Bottom Line because I had to, oh. I, I got an early start in the morning, so I had to take off. So, so I, we're I figured, gonna, yeah, we're gonna have to get we're gonna have to get together or meet up at Bottom that. Line or something, man. Yeah, hundred percent. Love to, love to. Absolutely. Thanks again for coming on. And as always, folks, you can follow us on all of our social media as well. Make sure you check out Sean, the Sheriff McMorrow as well on his uh, his uh, social platforms as well as the show. Check out the Sheriff podcast. Uh, until next time, my friend, uh, have a great night. Woo!